Welcome to the Divorced and Done Podcast. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by my friend and colleague, Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers focused on giving you the information necessary to move through the divorce process quickly and efficiently to maximize benefit to you and your family without financially or emotionally bankrupting yourselves. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Divorced and Done. It is Tuesday morning, and this week we are addressing more of your listener questions. Thank you so much for sending them along. Obviously, we were recording this earlier than Tuesday morning because we release early on a Tuesday to reach all of our uh, listeners in Eastern North America. So, Darren Schmidt, looking into the future, uh, the weekend has passed. How are you doing? I'm good, but I'm most curious about your weekend because you're doing this uh, diet thing where you're eating anything on Sundays. You previously have said you've eaten <laughs> plates of donuts on Sundays. So how was your Sunday of eating donuts? Uh, I've tried many donut recipes. I take great <laughs> joy in making the donuts and giving them away to people. Uh, another thing I enjoyed, I can't believe I'm talking about this and sharing this with people. I, I'm sure like many people really enjoy cookie dough, but if you know... You can't actually eat cookie dough because it has raw flour and raw eggs in it. And if you eat too much of that, it'll make you what? sick. Really? Really. So if you go online, there are recipes for edible cookie dough. Uh, and the core of it is you bake the flour before you mix it into the cookie dough and there's no raw eggs. So it's butter, sugar, cooked flour. So it won't make you sick. And then whatever mixins you want to have in there. And you can, you know, theoretically eat a bucket of that like a normal dessert and go about living your life and you won't get salmonella and die. Well, so all the talk from you about your Sunday diet had me yeah. thinking about the Beastie Boys song, Heart Attack Man. It's <laughs> 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 I'm sure everyone listening to this, you know, must think I, good Lord, like I you look have a amazing. major problem. You, That's no, very kind. Thank you. You look good. You you look really good. But I, obviously, I'm, I've been on a roll with these musical references. And I'm sitting here talking about eating a bucket of cookie dough. This just, this makes me look aces. Thank well, you. I got I to do one of these musical references every episode. So I, I put you on a tee and then I just <laughs> smashed it. But anyway, Heart Attack Man is the 16th uh, track on ill communication which is the fourth studio album by the beastie boys released in 1994 not a very well-known song the song is just a kind of stupid song about a guy whose dietary and lifestyle habits have led him to have a sequence of heart attacks but the <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's stupid but the i've never heard this song no i bet you none of our listeners have i just i remember listening to it in high school there was some pe people would be playing it whatever i thought it was funny <laughs> Um, so, but the, the big song on this uh, album was Sabotage. You would, of course, probably know that song. The, certainly the intro, it's sort of a guitar, aggressive guitar rip. And, uh, so Sabotage, I think that rose, uh, quite high. It was quite, quite popular for the Beastie Boys. Uh, yeah. So it hit and the Billboard Hot 100 singles rose to number 15 back then. So I think it was kind of their break, maybe their breakthrough song. I'm not that familiar with the Beastie Boys, but anyway. Hats off to the Beastie Boys. Um, 
and that ill communication album and the heart attack man song check it out i will i'm interested in that this is uh I, further to our last episode your musical tastes are getting better you're you know <laughs> i've grilled you repeatedly previously about hey rob are you aware of the 1958 top 50 like no, no i'm not uh we're getting into this millennium that's great and a bit more current I'm sure most of our listeners have a Spotify subscription or can go on YouTube. I know when we're done recording this, I will go and investigate Heart Attack Man. <laughs> but with that, I think it is time for our favorite royalty-free, ad-free musical treat, More Cowbell. In the words of the Beastie Boys, kick it! That was a jam. It was something. That's uh, our, list, uh, it's our, our, our transition sound for listener questions each week. Of course, you too can send your listener questions to us, to our Gmail account, lawyers talking about divorce, all one word, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. You can check us out on the web. We have a website, divorced and done, A N D, divorced and done.com. That'll take you to our website. And it also has uh, our our Gmail account on our website. So you can send those in. We keep, uh, we keep your identity uh, from being revealed. We keep you anonymous. And uh, the whole goal of this is send your questions to us. If we can help move you through our process to getting divorced and done, we really want to help you do that. And so we've had well in excess of 20 questions. I bet you 30 questions so far as we move through this podcast and in its infancy. So it's really been our privilege to help as many people as possible. Uh, and so keep sending them in because they've been really good. And as an added added incentive, uh, as you and I were discussing, we think since we're doing this twice weekly, it may be time for some divorced and done swag. I don't know what that look like will look like. I don't know what that will be. Uh, for anyone that follows you on TikTok, they may know that you did a great campaign when you hit ten thousand followers on that platform. That you sent out buttons, uh, promotional like campaign buttons, to anybody who was interested, and you had a great response on that, and lots of people really wanted your button which was really cool so we may do some swag on this whether it's coffee mugs t-shirts something interesting and for the best questions we'll start doing some swag and some cool stuff so thank you for continuing to yeah. send in the material we greatly appreciate it so we can keep doing what we're doing maybe a sweet fanny pack or something cool Who knows? Oh. all Hold right let's back. get into uh let's get into it uh without further ado question one this week uh, the listener says, I'm a 44-year-old man that's been married for nine years with three kids. Uh, for years, his wife did not work, um, but when she started working, refused to support him uh, and did the absolute minimum she could get away with, in, in his view. Uh, he says he was forced to take up multiple jobs to support the family and that each year he had to pay a lot in taxes, uh, and she would get surpluses for things like childcare credits, etc. It appears I'm reading into this. It appears they kept their bank accounts separate. Um, he states, "I'm feeling constantly emotionally and psychologically abused," and she puts him down. Uh, if he tries to protest or sort of stand up for himself, she would sort of threaten him, build lies, gossip with people close to their family. Um, and he feels like she's really kind of destroyed his reputation amongst friends and, and family members. He feels alone, lost, and not sure how to get out of the relationship so they're still together. He says, I've decided to separate from my wife. 
I'd really like to opt for mediation, but I'm afraid she may not cooperate. I don't want to pay the bills or excuse me, I pay the bill. He says, I pay the bills and everything is in my name. Uh, it would be difficult for me to pack up and leave because I, I simply can't afford it. Um, so his questions basically is he's scared. Um, she may not participate in mediation in good faith. She may try to hide assets. He, he says here, um, she may have some offshore investments and, and things like that. But his question is, uh, how should he start this process with the a description of the fear that this listener is facing, Rob, and, and is mediation a good option? Really, where does, where does this listener start? So do, do you have any thoughts? We've been clear in our divorced and done steps that there are approximately six steps you need to follow to get to the point where you're divorced and done. Starting this process, thinking about that number one, separate and apart. Uh, it's great he's thinking about money. It's good he's thinking about his children. But number one, before you can think about anything else, he's clearly in not a happy place where they've both determined their relationship is over, but they're still living in that same space. And he mentions that money is a challenge for him. I would say number one, think about any family, friends, anywhere he can go just on an interim basis to get out of the house, to be away from his ex, at least in the moment, um, to get clear, um, clear his head and start to move forward with his life is really important. So I'd make that a priority, even more than the immediate parenting arrangements, as we've discussed before, before thinking about what parenting is going to look like, get separate and apart. Then once you're apart, then once you're away, think about what parenting is going to look like. Uh, and if finances are really a problem, perhaps you could bring an interim uh, spousal support application or interim child support application uh, or request if they are on a path toward mediation. Uh, after he has left the home, I'd suggest that's a great time to talk to a lawyer about setting up that initial correspondence with the other party, if it's possible to say we'd like to have mediation, if she works all the time and he doesn't work, it may be appropriate to say in the interim before we go to mediation and meet with somebody to try and get resolution of this, we'd like to request some interim child support or interim spousal support just so he can carry his expenses through a potential final settlement that might be reached at mediation. And as we always say, yes, of course, we want people to mediate and take those steps. But before I think he thinks about all those pieces, put everything in order. Number one is separate and apart. Do whatever he can to be out of that house so that they're both safe and they're both secure and that their kids are okay. And then they can move forward and think about next steps. I would agree. I think the... Uh, the only way that you're going to, as the listener, get clarity here is is getting out of that um, environment that you you say is causing you so much stress. So that's thing one, and that that's going to allow you to think a little more clearly. Um, so yeah, don't put the cart before the horse. Don't think about process. How am I going to complete all of this? Just get out. Step two: think about what the interim parenting arrangement is going to be. Like you say, Rob. And if you can't come to terms on that, that may be some matter that you need to bring before a court or a somewhat urgent decision on that piece, but hopefully not. And then your child support will flow from that. But the bigger piece is about how we're going to divide our property. Is is she hiding assets? Things like that. That's 
those are steps three months, six months down the road that you can really think about. Um, but right now, I think for your own um, mental well-being, your own health and safety, um, just get out of that house or have her leave the house, but someone leaves the house and you live separate and apart. And Separate and apart is always number one. Yeah, it, it needs to happen, and uh, we we wish you well because the the emotions you've described in your email are obviously real and visceral, and and um, you're obviously going through a really hard time. So we sympathize with you, but the best thing you can do right now is to get away from that and um, feel safe and get the support, get a support team around you that maybe can help you, like counseling or therapy or physical activity or things that are going to help you um, as well move through the process. I think that's, that's important to think about that. Hopefully that helps. So let's, uh, let's move on to our second question this week. Listener says, hey there, exclamation point. Hey there. Hopefully you're doing well. Uh, thanks, for the taking, thanks for taking the time to read my email. Uh, no problem. Thanks for sending your email in. Uh, my husband and I split in December and he left our residence. I remained in the home with our two children. Both the names are on the house and the mortgage. Uh, three months prior to separation, uh, the house was appraised. Uh, he's now been gone and out of the house for uh, about eight months. And he's not paid child support and does not contribute to the bills uh, of the residence at all. Uh, he's now saying that he'd like to have the house reappraised to try and get more money for it. I have been told many different things and don't know what the right answer is. Is he able to do this, namely get this house reappraised? Or is the amount the house was appraised for before we split up the amount we go off? Is he allowed to reappraise the house since he doesn't live there and hasn't contributed to eight months? So before I turn this over to you, Rob, I'd say the my synopsis of this the listener is really concerned about the appraisal piece, but I actually think the more important pieces are the non-payment of child support and the issue of the appraisal stems from maybe a misunderstanding about how, when we value property. Um, so those are kind of the two themes I'm seeing here, non-payment of child support and uh, when, when, we, when do we consider the value of property under our various family law acts across Canada. So anyway, what, what do you think? Not to be overly simplistic, but uh, from the date that they knew their relationship was over, that they separated, maybe it's when he left the house if he wasn't maintaining any expenses um, prior to that time, whenever that point is determined, he will have some arrears of child support. And that's only been eight months. And I should say off the top, congratulations to the listener for being separate and apart and making that work. I know how hard it can be when someone's not paying support. Um, and not present, particularly if that dad that left the house was the primary income earner and he's left with that income and left her with the bills in the house and she perhaps earns less money. She's managed to hold it together for eight months and hasn't rushed to court. Good for her because that will hopefully make this a better process instead of rushing to litigation. Yeah. And once having that eight months apart to allow cooler heads to prevail will allow these people to come to a reasonable uh, conclusion to conclude matters. In terms of the child support, I'm not too concerned about those arrears. It's been eight months. He owes them. He needs to pay them. 
Uh, it's not hard to calculate those pieces if you have current income information for him. And if absolutely necessary to make a court application for child support, if he absolutely refuses, but hopefully uh, he's come to some better conclusions. Maybe he's talked to a lawyer and just says, sure, I'll pay the child support. With respect to the home reassessment, my view is, and we've discussed this many times, with the rapidly rising home market all over North America, wherever you are, I want you to get as much money as you can for that house. Unless one of you is going to stay in the house uh, and wants to potentially buy the other one out and have a lower appraisal and to be able to rely on a lower appraisal for that buyout number. In that situation, unless there's some real reason to hold on to the home. And as we've discussed, if there's a lot of equity there and both of you can benefit from that, sell the house. Uh, get that equity, maximize it for both of you. You're both entitled to get appraisals on that home anytime you want. Now, if the listener's in the home alone, he's gone somewhere else and she's adamant she doesn't want uh, another assessment on the home. There's nothing requiring her to allow an assessor to come into the home to do a complete appraisal. But of course, an assessor can do uh, an assessment from the street based on what that assessor has been told about the home and can do a best guess based on comparables in the neighborhood. My view, don't fight about that piece. Let's have the most current assessment possible. Then you both can make assessments on whether someone's going to buy someone out, whether you're going to sell it, then you can move on and be closer to being divorced and done. Yeah. So from a legal perspective, the value of your property that existed during your marriage, this clearly existed during your marriage, so it's, it's marital or family property the value is the current value or value of trial if it goes to trial. So the current assessment that is proposed here is is only helpful and appropriate. I, I can't see a, a valid reason for wanting to not do it unless for some reason you think in your, um, in your geographic area, the market has been depressed, uh, which would be clearly contrary to the trend throughout uh, the rest of North America, but it's possible. I, I, I don't know where this listener is listening from, but uh, in any event, I think um, it's a it's only appropriate. And in fact, if this does go to a final hearing of some sort, an updated appraisal would be required in any event. So simply allow the appraisal. Um, you may, in this case, not want to agree to split the cost of the appraisal. He can probably pay the cost, particularly if he's not paying any of the costs respecting the ongoing maintenance of the house, insurance costs, mortgage payments, et cetera, and he's not paying child support, he could certainly front the cost of the appraisal. Um, but uh, yeah, think about that child support piece, looping back to that. Um, your arrears are, the arrears are there, I think, for the eight months period, as you've described, Rob, um, but don't wait too long. Uh, of course, we've done an episode previously about the Supreme Court case, Colucci and Colucci. Don't don't wait too long if you're going to do it. Um, bring, bring that application sooner than later if you have to do it. But try try and deal with that outside of court and give effective notice to him that he owes child support, either in writing or a, a discussion of some sort, formal discussion between the two of you, so that that part can be addressed. Because child support's the right of your children. They have the right to the same economic means they would have had if you two were still together. Children didn't choose for you guys to separate. Uh, either one or both of you did. So... Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit too long on that child support, uh, arrears piece. So hopefully that answers the question. I think Rob, uh, you've, uh, really investigated, uh, the third question that we're going to address this week. So I'll turn it over to you. 
Our third question is uh, about a couple in Eastern Canada with younger children. Uh, the thing that's unique is both parents are in the military, separated a couple years ago and received an order uh, that appears to sound it's shared parenting, some sort of equal approaching equal shared parenting, and that a dad will pay child support or both parties will pay child support uh, on a shared parenting set off, meaning they're in that uh, what we call section nine under the child support guidelines, meaning both parties offset their child support obligations to each other. The higher paying or higher earning spouse will owe the other spouse some portion of child support on that difference. And the chief concern is that dad is regularly deployed with the military abroad and elsewhere, such that the children are in mom's care uh, more than 60% of the time. And that's generally the threshold where the CRA has said and our courts have said that you no longer can have set off child support. You're not in a shared parenting situation anymore. It is mom is de facto primary parent. And the concern is she's not receiving that entire entire child support amount. Uh, And then the second part of the question is, both parents now have new partners that they live with. And the concern is one parent seems to believe that the right of the new partner trumps the other parent's right to their parenting time in a right of first refusal situation. And a right of first refusal is saying where if I can't parent the children during my parenting time for so much time, the other parent automatically has a right to say, then I will care for the children as babysitter, even though it's not my parenting time where the one parent is saying, no, uh, I have a new partner. The new partner is essentially the parent. So those are the two questions. Children are in often a primary parenting situation with one parent and there's a shared parenting child support order what to do in that situation and then again what sort of role does a new partner have where there's a right of first refusal for parenting time for the other partner what's your view darren on these two pieces well boy big questions um i'm just looking at the question myself looks like the listeners sent some very nice comments just as an aside to us so thank you very much uh, for those comments She says, the content and wealth of knowledge you both provide in this podcast is so helpful to many, including myself. Cool. Um, All right. First part of the question is, there's an order. It says shared parenting arrangement. But what's happened since the order is that there's not, in fact, a shared parenting arrangement because dad has been deployed for um, military service and is unable to exercise the parenting arrangement under that order. Is that correct? I I think that's what's going on. I believe that's the thrust of the question, yes. So am I thinking on part one of this question, which is, should dad continue to pay child support under the existing order, which contemplates a shared parenting arrangement? Um, no, I think what has, what's happened since the first order has been made is there's likely been a, what we would call a material change in circumstances. Meaning when that order was made, it was contemplated that the parents uh, would have this shared parenting arrangement, their work schedules would permit that and you're off and running. What's now changed is dad's work schedule has changed. Dad is no longer able to be present on an equal basis or at minimum 40% of the time with the kids under our uh, child support guidelines. So my view is that uh, child supports the right of these children. 
if mom has them in her primary care, our listener, the mom has her has the children in her primary care, there is no more shared parenting arrangement that that order should be modified such that it is no longer calculated on that net set off section nine basis. And it should be calculated on dad's income alone under section three of the federal child support guidelines. And um, dad may uh, not like that, but my, my th- first uh, thought on that is tell, tell him that the listeners say my, my perspective is you're underpaying child support. Here's why. Here's my suggestion. You pay section three child support because you're leaving the kids with me most of the time. And there you go. Uh, he may say, I'm not interested in that, in which case you have to determine, is that something I want to go back to court to address? Or do I want to let, I don't want to say sleeping dogs lie, but not go back to court, not have that conflict. That's a personal choice this listener has to, I think, grapple with when uh, deciding what next step to take. On the first part of this question, Rob, what are your thoughts? Am I wildly off? I completely agree. There's been a material change in circumstances. If the children are indeed with mom more than 60% of the time, that entitles her to go back to court. I think if those two parties can work together collaboratively to try and work that piece out, of course, we would encourage them to do so instead of uh, rushing to litigation. Cool. So on the second part of the question, which is the kid staying with his new partner in during his parenting time, if he's not available, so he's deployed. Both so the, parents have new partners. Sure. But let's just take this uh, scenario. Um, let, let, let me give you a scenario. So the kids are, are supposed to be with dad for his parenting time. He's gone. He's working. He's been deployed. So instead, they're with his new partner. And now our listeners saying, well, he's not around. Why shouldn't I have the kids in my care? That's what the essence of right of first refusal is, if I understand correctly. Is that kind of your understanding, Rob? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So I would say if your current order does not address that issue, you're going to probably have to go back and get guidance from the court and put that in an order because right now you're stuck in never, never land of negotiating and not having an agreement on that piece. My general experience has been that the preference would be that the children be in the care of their other guardian if the parent the, the parent that's supposed to have the kids, that guardian can't have the kids in their care. That's the default. So I think that's generally where um, our courts would land on this issue. The, the new partner should not have parenting time or time with the children instead of mom in this case, right? Um, so I would say the... Um, the listener's thinking correctly on rights of first refusal, but if she can't get an agreement on it, it comes back to, do, do, you, do you want to fight about it? And if you do want to fight about it, you're likely going back to court to deal with that issue. So um, but what are your thoughts on the right of first refusal, Rob? I completely agree with you legally. However, I look at this question, it says these parents have been separated for three coming up on four years. Their children are still young but both parents have new partners. And even though the law will absolutely prefer legal biological parents, guardians, uh, to new partners, there is no harder position for anyone in family law than the new boyfriend or the new girlfriend. Because with young children, there's going to be significant, um, you're not my mom, you're not my dad, 
depending on how old these children were when the parents actually separated. And I get the sense from looking at the question, they may have been really young. So because both parents have new partners, I would suggest both of them think about what role they both want their new partners to play. If they're both dating the same people, been with the same people for a significant amount of time. And if those are both committed relationships and there's no concerns, uh, safety concerns or anything else, when the children are in the care of either of the new partners, I would suggest it would be good for both parents to sort of have some respect and deference to both of those new partners as de facto parents, sort of step parents, if you will, even if nobody's married for those children, because even if there is no formal step parent relationship or other things, those new partners could be in these children's lives for a really long time. And it's our goal and our practice to philosophically keep families together as much as we can in terms of family support for each other, even though you're divorced, even though you're separated, which means some family respect. And if the listener wants her new partner in the scene with the kids, uh, there should be some respect for the other partner's partner. That would be my only suggestion. Of course, that's not the law. That's just being a little bit pragmatic and practical as she thinks about wrapping these pieces up. I think that's a really good that's a really good observation because from the kid's perspective, maybe they're like, yeah, dad's gone, but let's let's say his, his partner's name's Sally. I have no idea who her name is. Sure. But we really like spending time with Sally. Yep. Right? And so they're accustomed to the time with Sally and yep. Sally's great with the kids. Let's assume that. And Sally enjoys spending time with the kids too. So think, I guess what you're saying is think hard before rocking that boat and saying, let's go back to court about this. I think I should have the kids in my care as a right of first refusal instead of Sally. Um, Absolutely. They both yeah. have new partners. It's a bigger family now. It's a four person family plus kids. Right. And so maybe there's some, maybe there's some middle ground. Like if dad's gone for an extended period of time regularly, um, maybe they're not with Sally all the time um, that they would normally be with dad just being with Sally. Maybe there's some blend there. Maybe there's, 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 there's some way to work this out. Right. Absolutely. So, I think, um, I think that those are great questions. So thank you for sending them in. And I also think, um, that's been a substantive listener question episode. I think that probably puts a wrap on the amount of questions we can answer today. Well, thank you everyone for sending in your questions. Again, we appreciate them. You can send them to our email. Uh, find us online at divorcedanddone.com. This has been Divorced and Done. We look forward to joining you again.